Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the V-Suit Podcast. Joining your regular hosts, Christian Moan, Ed Serwin and myself, Chris Dearden, on this lovely summer's evening is one of our more regular guests, a man who really doesn't need any more of an introduction than that. It's Mike Laverick. Hi Mike. Hi there guys, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad yourself? I'm very well. I'm just recovering from my brother's stag do, or if you're listening in the US, bachelor party, so... <laughs> I'm a little bit tender, but I am kind of human still. Was was it was it suitably good? But of course, what goes on on stag do stays on stag do. We were we were very we were you know because we're reaching a certain age. It's my eldest brother's wedding. He's forty nine, so we were very tame. Nobody was particularly uh, uh, needed arresting or anything like that. But it was I think two a.m. We were still drinking gin and tonics at the hotel bar. It's always a good time to drink gin and tonic. And I said I, I think I need to. Go to bed. Go to bed. Otherwise, Mister Laverick will be unwell. <laughs> I, I've seen you after a, a, a few gin and tonics, Mike. Oh right? dear, yes. <laughs> it's not a pretty sight, is it? <laughs> well, you were able to run after our taxi, so why not? <laughs> uh, that, that was actually back in t- 2010 in Copenhagen. Was- I, I remember that very well because it's so expensive to uh, drink in Denmark. It's easier to buy bottles of liquor than it is actually to buy individual <laughs> drinks so I asked for I, somebody asked what I wanted and this was like 1am in the morning so I wanted a gin and tonic there was four of us so I expected four glasses to come back and somebody <laughs> came back with a full bottle of Bombay Sapphire yeah. and I oh dear this is going to be one hell of an evening yeah. <laughs> well I, I'm just glad no one videoed that one that would have been fun yeah <laughs> there's, plenty, there's plenty of pictures of me uh, post at VMworld the next day looking decidedly rough yeah, I, I, I took a few of those because I was actively looking for you the day afterwards. <laughs> so cruel, so cruel. <laughs> Definitely a case of Elvis had left the building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those things I figured I could, because I wasn't speaking until the last day, I figured I could party on the Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then ease off on the Wednesday night ready for my Thursday presentation, forgetting, of course, that the night before the last day is World party. So mm-hmm. it's pretty difficult to avoid the, the liquor uh, at the party, so um, I didn't plan that one too well. <coughs> um, so, you actually uh, asked asked to come back on, on the show on on, uh, on Twitter, um, and talking about Feed Forward. So yeah. Something, you know, we discussed with uh, David Owen on the last episode, um, and, you know, with, with references, Feed Forward didn't uh, consist of like you know you sitting at the back of a VMAG presentation with a bag of stale bread rolls ready to throw at uh, any poor presentations. Uh, that it's it goes somewhat deeper than that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, over, over to you. Tell us tell us more about it from uh, from your point of view. Well, I guess uh, I have to start by explaining why it's called Feed Forward. Um, I'm a man of few ideas and even fewer original ones, but what I am good at is dreaming up stupid catchphrases that hopefully grab people's attention. So essentially it's a mentoring scheme that uh, me and some of the guys within the community are trying to get off the the ground. And the pun is on feedback. You know, if people do a presentation at a VMUG, it's likely that they will never present that ever again. Or they may do it at their national event, or they may maybe present it one more time uh, towards staff. But probably in that situation, feedback is pretty useless. 
it's because by the time you find out what was good and bad about your presentation, it's too late. Too late. And it became clear to people like myself, Scott Lowe, and Duncan Epping was if we weren't going to drive up more user or member activity within the user group, probably what we needed is to give people feed forward, to give them help and mentoring and advice before they present. Because really the reality is is that uh, sometimes people lack confidence and having that kind of mentoring beforehand is a great confidence boost to, to people. So that's that's it in a nutshell really. Yeah, it's, Fantastic. It's, it's good giving people uh, the opportunity to kind of uh, get the, as you said, the feed forward instead of feedback in, in, in hindsight. You know, it's uh, a lot, getting people to pre present for the first time isn't easy, and it isn't yeah. easy for people to present for the first time either. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword in a way because people don't want to do it because they haven't done it before, and if you haven't done it before, you don't want to do it. So you're so back to square one. Twenty-two, isn't it? Yes. I mean, um, unless the feed forward is you suck. Good luck up there, guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the things I've noticed, um, and this is true when I was a VMUG leader myself, is you put these events on. At the end of the day, uh, the VMUG leaders thank the sponsors, uh, you know, tell you where the, B, the VBS is going to be, and then they start imploring the, the membership to, for people to step forward and speak at a user group, because it's about users. It's not a vendor group, it's a user group. And at that point, I've noticed that uh, uh, suddenly a group of people who've been very articulate and vocal during the day suddenly go very quiet and start looking at their shoes or become excessively interested in the contents of the ceiling. You know, the, old, the eye contact suddenly disappears. Um, and whenever I've spoken to people during events or after the events, very often I get chatting to somebody about their latest project, their latest proof of concept or what I'm doing. And it's really interesting stuff. And I say to them, you know, this would make a great VMUG uh, presentation. And then suddenly they become quite sheepish and, oh, ah, well, you know, and I, I'm sure you guys have heard it as well. People come up with a lot of excuses for for why they couldn't present at a, a VMUG. And my feeling is is that they're not reasons, they're excuses. It's it's an effort to try and wriggle out of it. Um, and I think the, the heart of it is that uh, sometimes people don't feel confident standing up in front of their peers. Because let's face it, having 10, 20, 30, 40 people looking at you as the sole voice in a room isn't a daily experience for most people. It's, you know, something they, they do rarely. And, um, you know, instantaneously, as soon as you start feeling being watched by others, the self-confidence uh, or the self-consciousness starts to, to rise, or what we might call nerves, I guess. So the idea is to try and give people that confidence boost before, before they even step in front of the audience. Yeah, I did notice, I mean, I've... Um due to other commitments. I haven't been to a, a London user group for a while. And I noticed, you know, it's fantastic. I saw a, a lot of new faces in the audience, um, but didn't really see too many new faces uh, up on stage. Mm. It, it seemed to be kind of the, the, the same people, which um, is a little bit um, of a shame. Um, yeah, I think what was interesting about I was at the same event. They did have those lightning talks. There's 15 minute slots. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's great because it means you know by the time you've said hello and said goodbye, you're really only talking for 10 minutes, and it's very snappy um, and it's less pressure involved because you're doing it with a group of people. But what was interesting was Simon Gallagher was there presenting, um, but he's also uh, part of the leadership team. 
team. And I've seen that a lot in, in, in Scotland and elsewhere. Uh, the, the leadership is desperate to have somebody present who's not representing a vendor, not there to try and sell, sell their wares. And they find themselves having to fill in that gap. Um, and so the same people come up because they're moving on to another project. So I'll, I'll do that. Um, and no disrespect to, to that. I think it's brilliant that they do that. Um, but I wonder how much they feel compelled or they have to do that because there's a, a lack of people stepping forward and volunteering. So, I mean, I do a presentation on, on feed forward. And one of the things I do very early after sort of explaining why the VMUG is important to me is I put a picture of one of the VMUG leaders who I know quite well, and then I list all the things that VMUG leaders do to make this day happen that you happen to be at. And then after going through that big long list, I turn around to the audience and I say, and what do you bring to this event apart from just your attendance, which is very, you know, we're very grateful for people to come along. You know, there wouldn't be an event if there wasn't any attendees. But are you, is there something more you could be doing to give back to the community apart from just, you know, drinking the teas and coffees, folding your arms uh, when a vendor comes along and, and sort of barracking them for, you know, the product's too expensive or it doesn't do X, Y, and Z. You know, I think people have to think about when other people are giving their free time, both sponsors and leaders, they should be thinking about what can I bring to the group even if that's just one session in a you know over a two or three year period, if everybody had a, a go, I mean, if there's hundred odd people who come to the the VMUG in London, you know, if only one of those did a session uh, each quarter, um, it wouldn't wrap around to you again for another couple of years, you know. So we're not asking people to do it every single time, um, but trying to think more about what they can give back to the community. I would like to see that list you're presenting of what a VMUG leader does because. I'm still kind of dragging my feet and getting the Bergen mug started, really, uh, and the Norway stuff going at all, uh, and just keep postponing it because I haven't really got the time to do it. But at some point, I just have to set a date and start getting things done. But I also would, wouldn't mind having some kind of feed-forward program for me, new VMUG leaders as well. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was chatting to the people at the VMUG about getting this this community initiative turned into a proper program because it's sort of it just started by me and Duncan and Scott Law and others going you know what can we do to make these events more user focused than they are and I think we were a bit inspired by uh, a VMUG we were all at uh, last year where there wasn't one person from the community speaking it was all vendors speaking for this day event and myself and some of the others felt you know this the focus here is getting too skewed towards vendors and admittedly Three or four of those people a year or two ago or three years ago were independents. But, of course, the way the community now works is if you are an independent who builds a name and reputation for yourself, you end up working at EMC or VMware or, you know, some big supplier. And so that pool of independents or freelancers who come up and do this is my take is is needs to be refilled and needs to be refreshed. But uh, on my list of, of things that VMUG leaders bring, to answer your question, Christian, the one I have at the very top is what they, what they do is give their time, which is the biggest and most valuable thing that they, they have. There's lots of other things they have to do, like build the agenda, speaking to sponsors, speaking to uh, speakers, liaising with VMware, uh, liaising with the actual venue itself, your teas, your coffee, your internet, and all that sort of stuff, and then promoting the event, and then the actual day itself, uh, registering people, keeping everything on time, and then doing the kind of debrief afterwards. That's quite a high-level list. But really, the biggest thing that 
team of leaders bring is their time. And so I must admit, I'm trying to guilt people into presenting. You know, I point to the VMUG leaders, I get everybody to clap and I go, look at all the effort they've made. What are you doing? Yeah. And try and make people feel like, yeah, I should be doing something here. And I kind of sit back a little bit and let others take up the, take up the strain. And that could be me. The other thing I've tried doing more recently is, is saying to people, most of us who are kind of techies have made a big investment in our technical skills in, in the form of training and in certification. And we invest heavily in those skills, but do we as heavily invest in soft skills, which I think have always been important, but maybe now and going forward are increasingly important. Soft skills of managing meetings, soft skills of you know how do you handle a WebEx with 30-odd people in soft skills like doing a presentation to 30 or 40 people. So I'm, I'm kind of, the way I look at a VMUG is, is the members want benefits, but the benefits go well beyond or should go well beyond just keeping up to date with new technology or hearing a vendor's latest bit of software or bits of hardware. We should be looking at the members and thinking how as a group of, of peers do we collectively move our careers forward and the technical knowledge is always going to be important, and I really want to protect my technical knowledge and not have that eroded. But I'm also thinking there are other skills that maybe we don't invest in, and a VMUG is a great free way of you know, practicing your presentation skills. But with Feed Forward, you're getting free, no charge in, uh, uh, intended, uh, from people who you know, present pretty frequently who want to help you develop. So you know, I, I can't see... There's no negatives in there, but I, I must admit I do I, a bit naughtily try and guilt people into you know coming forward. But maybe that's another way of looking at it. You know, think about your career development. It isn't just your technical knowledge you need to develop. It's your personal skills. It's your social skills. They're as equally important to your your career as you know whether you know all the power CLI commands to upgrade VMware tools. You know, is one thing. Personal skills are another one as well. I think. With a lot of technical guys, those personal skills usually that's maybe why they're technical guys. Yeah, I know. I think that's quite interesting. Uh, you know, I kind of do a joke on stage when I'm doing this presentation about you know um, geeks. You know, um, uh, I like to talk like that <laughs> in a strange geeky voice and <laughs> all these ones and zeros. You know, and. In truth, that stereotype of the person who's really into IT but doesn't like to deal with people, it wouldn't exist if there wasn't some truth in it. All stereotypes and cliches have to have a grain of truth in them for people to laugh and go, yeah, I know that kind of person. But I also think they are stereotypes, they are cliches, they're not real because some of the most articulate, socially outgoing people I've met are people like you that, you know, uh, we wouldn't be doing this podcast if everybody was like, oh, I don't really like talking and, you know, don't want people to know about me and things like that. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's all it's true, but it's also not true. And, and people are, I think, we're a much more richer set of personalities in, in our community than that one-dimensional, oh, I like dealing with computers and not with people. But I, I guess, in fairness, the, there must be people like that. Otherwise, that kind of cliche and stereotype would have never have, you know, Tech and hold in the first place. Yeah, and it's it's always always fun to kind of perpetuate the myth as well when needed. Particularly <laughs> <laughs> well, if you don't want to talk to someone. <laughs> yeah, well, I, 
it's a tactic that as well. But then again, I, I, I think this is kind of kind of changing in a way because if you go twenty odd thirty years back, uh, people working with IT stuff were generally perhaps less extrovert than what might be the case these days because now these nowadays we're talking to uh, the, the techies us guys are kind of talking to this to uh, the customers and, and the uh, and the uh, vendors and whatever in a completely different manner than we used to mm. uh, we, we used to get stuff uh, thrown at us and here use this and you don't know what you're doing anyway so this is what you're getting and nowadays we have the ability to kind of influence how the vendors, what products they come up with and how these things work. And, and, and we get to pick and choose for the business in many cases what would be the best fit. Yeah, so and I guess the other thing very important as well. is that the other, thing that's, yeah, the other thing that's changed is as IT is increasingly classed as a cost center and what the business wants to do is reduce costs, is we're having to explain in a way that the business understands uh, which isn't always a technical way, or if it is, it has to be nuanced in a way that those people can understand it, of why this particular bit of infrastructure or this bit of software or this particular investment is needed and what the consequences are if we don't invest this level of, of, of revenue. Whereas I think, when I think about my own IT career, um, IT was just seen as everything will be quicker and faster and it will, IT will reduce costs now it's kind of flipped and it's seen as IT is a cost that we need to, to squeeze. So, you know, the, the days of arguing that we'll get increased productivity and increased revenue generation if we adopt this particular software, those arguments don't seem to work in or not as, seem to be as true as IT costs money, what you're going to do to reduce my costs. So I think we've had to become more nuanced in the way we explain what the technology does and what the value is to the business and what the consequences are of that particular investment not being made or not being made in the right way. But you're right, we're, we're being asked to speak to the business in a way that perhaps we never did 10, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, and to be able to for, uh, formulate those arguments and you know actually state your business case for, for why you want to do something, um, and particularly where... You know this this whole sort of shadow IT thing, where if you don't make your case, they're just going to do it anyway. Mm. Uh, that the, the social skills are actually much more important because there is less perceived control. You know, back in back in the day, IT had control because no one else knew knew about what they were doing, mm. um, and they they weren't particularly keen on anyone else finding out. Sure. I mean, what I found, found in my own short, yeah, what, what I found in my own short experience of mentoring a few people through their presentations is a combination of going through the content that they've got and showing how it can be made to be more clearer, less repetitive, not so many bullet points, um, but also ask just asking questions during the session about why they've done that or this particular comment. That seems to give people a confidence boost before they present because if they've already spent an hour with me or two hours with me going through the presentation with me asking them questions, chances are those questions may come up in their presentation for real and they've already rehearsed the answers to those questions or gone, you know what, I've never even thought about it. But I think the biggest thing that I think um, the mentees 
come out of the feed forward sessions is a sense of you know what i actually really do know the subject really really well um and there's a, a, an aspect of before you actually stand up and start taking questions on a particular topic you think oh i really don't know that much about this and i hope there's nobody there who knows more than me and trips me up and makes me look foolish at the end of the q a and the actual feed forward process they're like you know what actually i know this really well you know um all the questions you gave me I need the answer to it. And sometimes that leads to, you know what, you should put that on your slide. Because sometimes in the process of doing the Q&A, you tease out of that person something really, really interesting, which they thought was just something throwaway, but actually is worthy of a, a new slide. And, you know, you could drop that other slide because it's kind of a, a given. Um, so it, it's interesting how it's a dynamic process, but uh, out of the couple of people I've mentored and I've had feedback from those who've been mentored by others, what was really interesting in their long, long comments and uh, explanations about the process, the word confidence kept on coming up time and time and time again in their comments. You know, such and such and such gave me more confidence going into the uh, session. So initially, I thought this mentoring process would be quite technical and it would be about structure and content. But the more I looked at it is really what we're giving people is a confidence boost. And that actually probably is the most valuable thing they get out of it, alongside all the other tips and tricks along the way that comes from, from getting feed forward uh, mentoring is the confidence boost the week or the, the two weeks before you actually do the presentation itself. Yeah. I, th I also think it's... It's important for people considering doing uh, a, a sort of community session at the VMUG. I don't think anyone in the audience wants to trip you up. No. Well, you know, that's what I was just about to say. Some people do, especially in training courses. Yeah, yeah I mean, as a former instructor, you, you could spot that a mile off when you're being asked a lot of questions and you know the person asking the question knows the answer. But what they want to find out is whether you do as well. <laughs> in fact, I used to have a colleague who used to do that. She used to come into my office when I was in this training co uh, co uh, company. She'd ask me a load of questions, and I'd give her the answers to the best of my ability. But the second time she did it, I, I stopped her and I said, do you know the answer to these questions already, Kerry? And she looked at me sheepishly, and she said, yes. And I said, can I ask you why you're asking me a question you already know the answer to? Are you deliberately trying to make me look like a dick? <laughs> but part of it, part of it is uh, I want in a training course. Actually, knows what they're talking about because I'm sure we've all been on courses when that hasn't been the case, sadly. But I think also when sometimes people ask, I've done it myself. I ask a question of somebody, I think I already know the answer, but I'm not 100% sure whether I'm right, and I'm either seeking validation, yeah, I'm okay, I'm, I'm in the right zone here, or I'm seeking something to go, no, you've completely right but in five percent of the cases that's not the right way of doing it and that being told that you're wrong or as an alternative is actually quite useful because it helps you learn more and grow more but i, I agree with christian i think when it comes to a vmug and it's a 30 minute session 45 minute session whatever you can see in the audience they're willing that person to do well because a lot of the time the people in the audience are your mates from the VMUG, you know. What I, what I say, it's, it's the vendors who should be wearing when they come exactly. to. Because I think when members come to a VMUG and a vendor is presenting, your job is to listen to every word they say and work out what they're not telling you. Yeah. What they're setting over, what they're missing out. 
And a good VMUG is, is a bit like, um, I don't know, when a vendor presents, it's like a politician giving a speech to a room full of journalists. And then at the end, the, the, journal, uh, the politician goes, any questions? And that's when the real information starts to come out because the, audit, the journalists start to dissect and take apart and ask the questions the politician really doesn't want to be asked. But when it comes to members, I think you certainly have a, not a hostile audience, you have a receptive audience that's, that's willing you to do well. Uh, the thing I've likened it to is, you know, on these talent shows, when somebody comes on the stage and says, I'm going to sing, I'm like, oh, please be good, please be good, please do well, because there's nothing worse than watching somebody on stage, go, you know, doing their song and being really out of tune. It's like, oh, the embarrassment factor. So the, the, in the audience, there's a lot of um, will, I think. And, and sometimes I think the questions, when they come from the audience, what they're trying to do is help you tease out uh, a bit of information that you're perhaps not, you know, skirting over. And the, the questions aren't there to trip you up. They're, they're to try and draw you out. I mean, I... I have a bit of a notorious reputation for asking questions at mugs, And the main reason I do it is to get other people to ask questions because there's nothing worse as a presenter. You present to a silent room where nobody says anything. There's no response. No one laughs at your jokes. At the end of the session, you go, any questions? And there's this, like, tumbleweed hmm. that goes by. And it's odd how if one person asks a question, it starts to get the flow going and it becomes a or interactive session, but yeah, I don't think anybody wants to trip up a community member at a VMUG, but training instructors, it's sort of seen as, you know, one of the, that's the job, and, you know, the politician with the journalist, the politician has to know that's the nature of the game, you know, if you, if you, don't, if you don't like it, don't be there, is, is what we should think of those people. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was my point exactly, because if you're there as, as a vendor who's paying to be there, you're going to be scrutinized. Uh, mm. No question about it. We talked about the latest uh, storage field day thing on, on the last podcast, and that's that's a classic example of what happens when when someone is there to promote a, a, a message that they're, in a way, being paid to do, and 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 people have this preconception of of what they're in for or what the vendor is saying. But as a community member who who actually does step forward to tell a story about or explain something that they've done, the initial mentality of the of the attendees is going to be completely different. And mm. I, I think that's really important for uh, community members to actually know that because that's also, in, in the confidence-boosting area, that's one of the things you need to, t to take with you, that people are there to actually, they want you to, to succeed. They want to have the, the I mean, People who are at the VMUG want to have community and user-generated content. Mm. Even if they don't provide it themselves, they want it to be on, uh, on the agenda because that's where the, the real value is for a lot of people. I and think they, you're right. And they want the people who actually dare do that to, to do it well, and, and, and they want to help them out doing that by, by not trying to trip them up with questions afterwards. Mm. I must admit, as somebody who was an independent for a long time and now represents a vendor, I do watch other vendors for the way they're presenting, and I can see the dark arts at play, you know, <laughs> the way content and the way things are presented. Um, it's always done to uh, show the vendor in the best possible light, and that's your job. 
to show the vendor the software in the best possible light. It's not the job of the vendor to go, and this is why our technology sucks and all the things that are wrong for it. So what's great, what I thought was great about Simon Gallagher's presentation just last week on on a B Cloud Automation Center is it was it reminded me of the kind of session I would do. It's warts and all, uh, the things that worked, things that gave me problems. And I love the way he said, oh, this didn't work for me and it's never worked for me, but I don't know whether it's me or whether it's, it's, it's the software. Because sometimes when something's not working, you start to have that kind of, uh, kind of, I don't know, existential moment of like, am I the only person with this problem? Is it something I've done, something obscure? Or is this something that everybody's uh, facing? So I think when it comes to a community session, people want to hear the good and bad because in a vendor session, you're only ever going to hear the good in most cases. They may acknowledge a couple of things that, you know, um, and they'll say, you know, oh, that's on our roadmap to fix that. You know, that's a classic line, you know, push yeah, that into long gas, you know. Yeah, so, it's fixed in the next release, as usually. Mm. We know about that. It's going to be fixed soon. Uh, <laughs> Well, there is a difference between doing community sessions and doing vendor sessions, no question about it, and, and, mm. and that's an important thing to, to be aware of. Mm. I must admit, I wanted to do a community session um, out of Emoke last year, but because I'm now with VMware, it was felt that I couldn't go on because it would be too... I was presenting on a VMware technology as a VMware employee, but I would have done it in the Mike, Mike Laverick way because I don't see any point in me being there if I do a a kind of presentation that comes from corporate. As a former VMUG leader and, you know, member of VMUGs, I know what the audience wants, so I don't try and do a kind of corporate deck. But the trouble is, is once you've got that in your email address and once you've got that in your job title, it's hard to separate yourself from the, you know, I'm paid to represent. I think the brown bags that take place in the um, VMworld are good because it, it's a mixture of vendors and also community people. But if you're a vendor... It's specifically said you can't talk about your own technology. You have to talk about something else you're doing. So it can't be hijacked and used in a kind of nefarious way to sort of sell your wares again. And I think most people stick to that. So it doesn't exclude vendors. You know, you might be a vendor who's got a particular interest in a particular technology, which has nothing to do with what the business that you do. Because um, we're, we're all in the technology, and that isn't just what that particular vendor does. It's, it's all about at the end of the day. Yeah, and I guess the, the other thing I wanted to I try and do in this session where I talk about feed forward is I try and give a bit of advice at the very end about tips and tricks for doing a good presentation. Um, and my, my top tips are do the hardest thing, which is to be yourself on stage. Very often I think when people get up on, on stage and they're presenting, that kind of presenter character comes out. And that I've always felt that puts a barrier between you and your audience. So even when I was an instructor, I remember when I was doing it in the early days, I was, you know, I wore a shirt and a tie and I was very, very professional and yada, yada, yada. And it's good to be professional, but sometimes being professional and doing everything by the letter, by the law, it kind of subtracts the personality from that thing. And so I tried to be as much as myself as possible on stage, albeit trying to subtract some of the, the fruity swearing that I indulge in when I'm not, not on stage. Um, and then the other thing I say to people is self-depreciation goes a long way. And it's, I don't know what it's like in other cultures, but in the UK, if somebody puts themselves on a pedestal as the big I am who knows absolutely everything, the immediate reaction to the audience is to search for rotten tomatoes and try and take that 
person down from a pedestal. But if you don't put yourself on a pedestal, and I don't mean denigrating yourself, saying, oh, I'm, I'm Mike and I'm really useless and I don't know anything, but I'm going to try and, you know, you don't want to beat yourself up, but not taking yourself too seriously. People warm to that straight away. And the other trip I always say to people is make a joke, even a crap joke. Crap jokes, people still laugh at them because, you know, at a presentation, the gags can be far and few between because sometimes the topic can be a bit dry. But I often say people is if you can make people laugh even at a crappy joke it at least tells you that they're still alive and that they're listening to what you're saying so you get a, a bit of feedback because oh they are engaged and then the last joke i always say to people is the night before the presentation or even on the morning if you're planning to do a demo what you need to do is find a small goat or a small sheep and sacrifice that to the gods of demos yeah the gods of demos look down upon you at all times when you're doing demonstrations and it is a law of the gods of demos that a demo that's practiced a hundred times with nobody watching will fail once 300 people or 100 people start to watch literally their eyes as they look at your screen will cause your demo to fail now of course i'm joking here but um no matter how much you rehearse and practice demos there's always uh, the, the factor of the gods and it can go pear-shaped so what i've said to people in uh, feed forward sessions is look at your demos and ask yourself is this really adding does this really illustrate does it really make a point or is it a comfort blanket because you feel confident having a product up in front of you and reading out all the options that are available what they mean so does it really add or is it more of a distraction or a comfort blanket to you what one thing i found interesting myself is i took the presentation i do on feed forward and I got feed forward from uh, Hans Dilemma in, uh, in uh, Brussels, or Belgium, I think he is. And I went through the presentation with him. And um, even the very act of doing the presentation on my presentation, it all gets a bit uh, kind of up your own bum here if you're not careful. I realized the intro was far too long. It took me 20 minutes to get in and actually explain what feed forward meant. <laughs> and I, I, what was interesting was that I cut the intro right down to get to the point really quickly. But then I asked myself the question, why was my intro to feed forward so long? And I began to realize the intro was a big comfort blanket. It made me feel secure on stage to talk about how I got started with VMware and the labs I had and the first VMUG I went to and the, the VMUG leaders and how I became a VMUG leader. None of that was actually relevant because I wasn't saying what feed forward was about and why it was important and why you should engage with it. And I began to realize that the intro was there to make me feel good but it wasn't serving the purpose of the presentation but i think often when you have a presentation that's rammed full of demos or a long introduction really what you're doing is hiding behind the demo and hiding behind the the um the intro so the main the other main advice is you know a small animal it doesn't have to be a goat it could be some other thing you must kill it the day before you do your presentation to sacrifice the angry dods of of demos who are looking down on you <laughs> Please note, no animals were actually harmed in the making of this podcast. Yeah, this promoting, podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, promoting killing animals might not be the best thing. No, I mean, get us. a fluffy toy that you don't really <laughs> like too well, you know, and stick a knife in it, you know. Uh, ideally, not one of your child's favorite toys. That might not go down too well. <laughs> or any of your children, for that matter. So. <laughs> no sharp implements for you. There's some really dark slides on these. Uh, so <laughs> have, have you actually had anyone um, go, through the, go through the system? Um, yes, 
Yes, um, a chap called Frank Spritz-Peterson, who's based in the Nordics, he gave uh, feed-forward um, mentoring to a colleague of his called Rasmus Hasland. Um, okay. So he, he, they, those two have worked together. I, I personally have mentored a guy called Nick Fernell, who's actually done a presentation about his experiences of nimble storage at a couple of uh, UK V-mugs. And I also um, uh, did some mentoring with a chap called Alex Galbraith, who did a 15-minute lightning session about his home lab and the stuff that he does there. Mm-hmm. And irony of ironies, I ended up um, mentoring a chap called uh, Michael Armstrong, who approached me on Twitter to say, will you give me some feedback on my presentation, also about his home lab. It wasn't until we actually started doing the, the Skype call that I worked out he's, he's an employee who actually works at VMware, because <laughs> it wasn't obvious from his Twitter handle. But we went ahead with it anyway, and it was interesting because uh, Michael's new to the SE role. You know, he's you know, previously a customer, you know, used the products, gave feedback to VMware. It's his first job at a vendor uh, in an SE role and not used to doing presentations. So I thought it was interesting how another, you know, one member of VMware was helping another VMware in a program that really has nothing to do with VMware.com, essentially, because it's a VMUG program. You know, people work for all manner of different vendors who come along to, to VMUG. But I thought it was ironic that we ended up doing that. But it was just as useful to him. Um, one, one thing I've got is a couple of quotes, which I want to sort of read out, if you don't mind, to just make a point about what I was saying earlier about a conference. Confidence. So Nick Fernell said in, in uh, this article I wrote for the Beamer Voice that the approach clarified his own thinking about the, the, what he was doing, prepared him to deal with the typical audience heckler, but he ended his comment with his confidence grew. And the same word came out with Alex Galbraith. He said having a second pair of eyes on his slide from a presentation from somebody who does this day in, day out, he means me, gave him the confidence that the content was up a sort of So there's that confidence word again. And then, and then Michael, he said that um, the fee forwards was very valuable and helped with my confidence to deliver the presentation. And it was reading their comments that begin to make me realize that this, this program of, of helping people and tutoring people ready to present at a VMUG, it is really about the confidence it is really about reducing their nerves, making them feel that they've got good content. So, you know, other things like structure and, you know, bullet points and graphics and things that come out in the Q&A is one thing, but I think it's the confidence factor that that is the big one, and it's funny how that word... And these guys didn't speak to each other, which I think is really revealing. That word confidence kept on cropping up. And so I look at that, you know, you may have a level of confidence and maybe Feed Forward will give you a boost... But confidence, I think, is, is, is a really good thing when you're up on stage because it will help you uh, if things go wrong. So if a demo does go bad, it's that confidence will help you ride your way through that and go, anyway, the, the demo didn't work, doesn't matter, let me move on to my next topic. And it's interesting how within 30 seconds people have forgotten that that demo didn't work or that PowerPoint whizzy thing that you'd set up didn't work because you've moved them on to another topic. Fantastic notes. I mean, it sounds obviously like a, a project that's uh, delivering some results. Um, and uh, there are, is there a, a website or, you know, if someone wants to actually get involved with this, how would they, they best do so? Well, there's a couple of ways of doing it. They can contact me directly if they, if they so wish, and I can either help them directly or pass them on to somebody who can. Uh, we do have a Twitter ID of Feed 
feed forward, where forward is spelt with a four, yeah. the number four. I couldn't actually register feed forward as all one word. Um, hashtag is feed forward as well. And also, probably more important than any of those uh, kind of you know, come along and contact us, there is a landing page on the vmug.com site. It's vmug.com forward slash feed forward. In there, you can register in three different ways. You can register to say, I'm a member of the VMUG and I'm interested in doing uh, a presentation. I'm a member of the VMUG and I'm interested in being a mentor for my local group. Or I would like to join the steering committee that's going to monitor and maintain the, the, the Feed Forward program going on. Um, because it, it occurred to both me, Duncan and Scott, that it would be fine for us to volunteer as mentors. But if this thing became popular, there is 160 VMO groups worldwide. There's over 80,000 members worldwide. If it's just me, Scott, and Duncan mentoring people, it won't scale. And as we know in the IT game, if it don't scale, it don't happen in a lot of cases because you never get out of the proof of concept once you start to put 1,000 people or 2,000 people in the system. It doesn't matter if it worked under 50. It's got to scale to whatever the number of services. So my hope is, is that we'll end up with a mentor at every single VMUG group. And so, therefore, people can promote, uh, approach them when they're at the event to say, I've got this idea and you know, just do it face-to-face. -face. Um, but in the meantime, it's quite a small number of mentors. But if people are interested either in they want to present or they want to be a mentor, it's vmug.com forward slash feed forward, all on word, will take you to the landing page where you can sign up. Yeah, sounds good, because I, I was just about to ask that, actually, because uh, VMUGs are, as you mentioned, in a, in a bunch of different countries, which, which also means a bunch of different languages. Uh, it's got to be hard for, for you to mentor some, someone who's doing a presentation in Norwegian or whatever uh, on their content, and, and local someone from Norway might not be comf comfortable doing a presentation to get feed for, uh, feedback on or feed forward on in a different language than they are planning to actually do the presentation in. Sure. I mean, so we've got the language differences, which are quite broad in, in Europe, and then also the t time zone differences as well, because even mm. if you're an American, if you're one end of the country and your mentor is on the other, you've got a three or four hour or five hour gap between you. So, yeah, you're right. It's the language differences, the cultural differences and uh, the time differences. And I think that's what's um, interesting about the VMUG. You know, it's called a global VMUG. That's the term that sometimes you use it. But really, it what makes it global are the members, not the organizational structure, which is actually quite quite modest in terms of the number of people who are employed to, to manage this particular program. I think it's less than 25 people who manage this thing. So what makes us global is the, the members, the people who are dotted all over the planet who all are into virtualization and see the value of, of going to user groups. And I'm a, big, I'm a big passion. One of the things I care about quite strongly is I think it's great the way we're all connected globally in a way. You know, I, mean, I know people across the US and Australia, you know, that, that was unthinkable a few years ago. But I think also, I'd like to make or feel that the differences between us, the language and the culture, is maintained as well. And the last thing I want to do when I go on holiday is fly halfway around the world and feel that I haven't moved anywhere because everything is just like it is in the UK. So, you know, a language, I think, is a big aspect of that, and the culture is a big aspect of that. Just because we're global don't mean, doesn't mean we can't be local at the same time. Yeah. <clears throat> so, 
thanks for listening to V-Soup number 47 with our now regular guest, Mike Laverick. Uh, Mike, you want to um, just give your, your plug one more time so in case someone missed it before? Okay, the, the uh, hashtag, if you're on Twitter, is FeedForward, all one word with a hash at the front. The Twitter ID is Feed, the letter four, Wood, forward, yeah, as a number. If you want to register because you're interested in giving a presentation or you'd like to be a mentor for your particular group, it's vmug.com forward slash feedforward. So you can catch us on iTunes, Stitcher, or vsoup.net. Thanks for listening.